Coming up on episode 11 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Senior Master Sergeant Lee Hoover. And the challenge is to not only recognize that you need to develop, but to put yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable so you're developing. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Lee Hoover. I've known Lee for over a decade. I worked with him at American Forces Network Tokyo. He's currently the communications advisor for the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. That's the Air Force's most senior enlisted leader. He talks to us about developing troops and workplace culture. And now, our talk with Lee Hoover. We're just going to start by maybe asking about your background, kind of run through your career. Well, I guess uh, just starting just to go through my career, you know, I joined the Air Force, not straight out of high school. I went to college for a couple of years and, and that didn't work out for me. So I joined when I was 21, came in as a radio and television broadcaster because, uh, you know, I wanted to be the next Howard Stern or, or the next Adrian Cronauer. <laughs> and uh, it didn't quite work out. I ended up not being very good at the radio, but I, I enjoyed the TV part of it all. And so uh, I, I got into that and Started out at Injuluk Air Base in Turkey for a couple of years and then moved to uh, Tokyo, which is, of course, where I met Randy. And I was there for a couple of years and then um, went to San Antonio to work at the headquarters of Air Force News. Was there for three years, traveled around the world just kind of telling the Air Force story. And then I ended up in Knoxville for a couple of years doing that for the Air National Guard and then back in Turkey. And at that point, you kind of get up into the what we call the senior NCO ranks and you're forced to become a leader, if you will, you kind of transition away from the camera, away from the radio and try to lead younger men and women to do what you've learned to do. So I got to do that for a little bit in Turkey, which is where I began. After I did that for a little over a year, the uh, chief master of the Air Force, who is the senior enlisted ranking person in the Air Force, kind of reached out to me through people on his team and asked if I was interested to join his team as essentially a communications advisor. I got hired to do that in, I think it was May 2013. And I've been doing that ever since. And so my primary role on his team is a communications advisor. My duty title is special advisor because he didn't like that. It just said communications because I do a variety of things. And that means I travel the world with him wherever he goes. I kind of give him advice on communications. And I try to keep him informed and keep him updated on all the different things that are going on throughout the Air Force. I reach back to different directorates and say, hey, here's what what's going on. And then if he wants to change something because he has the, uh, I guess he's empowered to do so, then we reach back out and say, hey, this isn't quite right. We need to change it here. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Been doing that for almost three years, a little over three years. So how many years have you been in now? So I've been in the Air Force for a little over 15 years. So I actually hit 15 years in January of 2016. So wonderful. 50 years and four months. You've raised through the ranks pretty quickly. I mean, that's not normal, I would say. No, probably not. Um, It's certainly not unheard of either. So, you know, it's been done. So I have a line number, what you'd call line number, meaning um, soon I'll be promoted to a chief master sergeant. Typically that rank, which is the highest enlisted rank, comes at uh, maybe 20 years or 24 years. And so I was able to uh, get that at 15. But a lot of that has to do with, you know, like we're talking about good leadership uh, early on in my career that kind of steered me in the right direction and gave me kind of the uh, traits I needed to be successful. Then, you know, the rest of us is studying when I needed to study. (laughs) Sure. Did you ever think you would make chief master sergeant when you started your Air Force career? I think that was a goal, but I wasn't really sure. It's kind of one of those things when you start your Air Force career, you have two stripes on your arm, or I had two stripes on my arm. 
Uh, most <clears> have, uh, you know, one or two when you first start out. You look up at chiefs, but they're kind of like, you know, they make up 1% of the Air Force, so they're rare, and you look up to them like, man, someday, maybe. And then as you kind of progressed, I mean, I was excited when I made TechSard, you know, E6, <laughs> which was to me, it was like, hey, this is, this is it. <laughs> and uh, you just kind of keep going, and thankfully you're, you're blessed to have that next step presented in front of you as an opportunity, and you just take advantage of it. And I certainly didn't think I'd make it this fast. Sometimes I don't know if I should have made it this fast, but <laughs> unless I'm here, <laughs> I will say so. Being Navy, ex-Navy, um, the you you move up in rank pretty quickly. I mean, it's not. Yeah. That quick. But it always seemed to me that Air Force was the slowest moving, the hardest to advance. So that's pretty accomplished, I would say. I, I, a lot of people I know with your same amount of time in are several ranks lower. So I think that kind of speaks to your drive and your your hustle. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> that's one way to put it. I, I think a lot of it, everybody is able to, and especially in the past, everybody was able to. It, it just comes down to how much are you willing to commit yourself when it comes time to, you know, which you know we'd call test for promotion. So as you know, probably a little bit in shirt similar in the Navy when it comes, you know, when you're eligible for promotion, you test how well you do in the test determines how, how well you, uh, what your chances are for promotion. And so I would, uh, you know, just sell out and call off everything else in my life so I could study these books. <laughs> yeah. And my wife doesn't like it very much, but <laughs> she does when I get promoted. So it works out. Yeah. Well, one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests to come on the show is, sure. you know, have you ever worked with, been around or associated with a incredible leader and, and what did they, what did they do in your eyes to make them an incredible leader? Yeah. So I think I have, I know I have one of the, one of the boss I work for now, and I'm not saying this just because he's the chief master of the air force, but you know, he's going to get there because he was, you know, a lousy leader, an incredible leader in my eyes. Um, and there's, I'll give you one example of just a situation of what kind of a leader he is. You know, one of the things I do for him is write letters, if you will. And uh, one of them is a condolence letter when an airman is deceased. And I won't go into details on, on specifics, but I spelled someone's name wrong on that letter because I was in a hurry just kind of going and, and, and it was pretty rough. And uh, the letter came back to us from the family member saying, hey, you know, next time get this right <laughs> because it <laughs> spelled the person's name wrong, yeah. which is a horrible mistake. And, and there's reasons I made the mistake other than I was just going too fast. But I think, you know, we all make mistakes. It's tough. The challenge for me was I had to go tell him that, hey, you know, chief, I made this mistake. And I think perhaps some people, if they were told that mistake, knowing that the letter wasn't signed by me, the letter was assigned by him. And mm. of course, he didn't see that because, you know, the process just works uh, without him being able to actually see the letter. His response was actually fairly calm. He said, OK, well, we need to get the person on the phone for one so I could talk to them. And, uh, you know, I understand we all make mistakes. You could tell he was upset and, and I knew he was upset. He knew that I knew he was upset, so he didn't have to tell me that, if that makes sense. He didn't have to go into it. He knew I learned my lesson. But what was really telling to me was he got on the phone with this uh, family member, and, you know, she was talking to him, and he was saying, you know, you know, one, we certainly apologize for that mistake. It doesn't go into how much we, you know, are caring for you and your family. It isn't reflective of that. And, and they went back and forth, and she told him, she said, well, you know, I know it's not your fault. You know, I know you have a team there that signs these letters and writes these letters. And he said, no. You know, I look at every single letter and it's my fault and I made that mistake. And I, and I knew that wasn't the case because I knew the letter didn't, wasn't seen by him because it just went through. But he was willing to just kind of own that mistake mm. and not pass it off on it wasn't his fault. And I think that's kind of a, a trait of a positive leader, someone who obviously is willing to take responsibility for the mistakes that their team makes. Um, when, they're, when they're successful, he's always willing to kind of say, hey, lead did this, lead did that. So I, I think that's a fact and that's just one story I use to kind of illustrate the person he is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
let's contrast that. Have you ever worked around, been associated with somebody that exemplifies poor leadership? And, and what does that look like? It's hard because it's, it's frustrating. I think the poor leaders are the ones who make, you know, I'll say it makes standards. And I think standards are important. Uh, so, you know, there's standards in every office or rules, if you will. And, and then the people who are willing to say that is a standard for everybody else, but not for me. You know, we have we have some of that every once in a while. It's like, hey, we can't. We can't do this. You, you have to be in on time, but then you show up late. You know, if the leader shows up late, just I think it's very important to reflect the standards that you make as a leader. And when you're not willing to do that, it kind of brings the whole office down. And then sooner or later, the whole culture in the organization is off track because, you know, that leader is not willing to follow the, the standards that they espouse. Mm, sure. Leading by example, right? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, it's leading by example. So over the last 15 years of your career, you know, you've been up and down, up and down in terms of the type of leadership development training that they offer inside of the Air Force. What what have you been through? What what kind of stuff do they take you through when you, in your early stages and then sure. as you progress up through the ranks? Sure. So the Air Force has what we call professional military education. And currently they got about three tiers of it where you have your airman leadership education or airman leadership school is what they call it. And they do that right before you become an NCO. So when you are promoted to E5, which is a staff sergeant, before you pin on that stripe, you have to attend a course, which, and I may get this wrong, but I think it's a six week course. And they teach you a lot about leadership. They teach you a lot about just Air Force stuff. They teach you how to supervise on an individual level, because that's primarily where that person will be leading. Uh, they'll be leading one or two other airmen. So they kind of that's where you first get your leadership education. And then they you know, throw you to the wolves, if you will, where you go out there and you actually have to lead people, mm-hmm. which is very challenging. And then you get into your further ranks. So then once you get promoted to master sergeant, which is E7, you go to another school. They call that the NCO Academy. And it's similar in length. Similar courses, uh, similar course material, except for now you're looking at it as a team approach. So rather than leading from an an individual, you're leading teams to be effective. And then they have the Senior NCO Academy, which is what you do before you pin on Senior Mass Sergeant, which is E8. And again, you go there and just learn leadership, change management, organizational culture, some even more broader uh, leadership education. So they're kind of adjusting that currently in the Air Force at how and when you will go and how you'll take the course. That's the kind of education that you get. And then in between those actual courses, every base will have leadership seminars where they'll pull people out of their units for a week and you'll just kind of get refreshers on some of this education. You'll get speakers to come in and talk about what we're talking about, what makes a good leader, what doesn't. And they'll have you know group discussions, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the next step for you in, in your career? What what Where do you go from here? So right now, working in the office of the chief master of the Air Force. But I'm certainly not at that level, and so there's the next level for me is is a level up, but it's you know maybe back at the wing level or or back at the uh, at a different level of leadership or command in the Air Force, maybe a squadron. You know, then we'll go in and I'll actually use everything I've learned and try to turn it into a leadership and you know, try to turn myself into a good leader somehow. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's a development process, not a start stop point. It's a exactly. lifelong yeah. endeavor. So, where are you That's located right now? Uh, I'm actually just right outside of Washington, D.C. I live on Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. Okay, great. So if you were to get promoted, would you leave? Would they send you somewhere else or would you stay there? Yeah, I would leave eventually. Uh, not as a requirement, but as just it's the next step for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I could stick around as a chief and uh, work and continue to support the Office of the Chief Master of the Air Force. So there's no necessarily rank requirement in this office. But 
at some point you're just, you've reached that point of development that you can get in this office. So it's better for me to go out there and um, try to develop the next level, sure. the next level if I could. So you'd be working with like an air wing as the top enlisted person helping develop those people? Uh, well, yeah, maybe eventually that wouldn't be the next step. Uh, I'd probably go maybe work at a squadron. Uh, so at a base, essentially you have a wing. And doesn't, it isn't always this way, but in a general sense, a base would have a wing. Below the wing is a group, and then below the group is a squadron. And so each level of leadership or each level of command has leaders. And so you would start at one level, and then as you, you develop and you progress, if leaders higher than you think you should move to that next level, then you eventually will. So we'll see how it all goes. You know, to be honest, I haven't thought too much about it yet because I'm just <laughs> trying to survive this job. <laughs> so a lot of our listeners that listen to this podcast are people that are in the corporate world and they, you know, they're always looking to hire talent and they're always looking to make sure they, they get the right people. Would you, if I'm a corporate executive and I'm looking to hire people out of the military, is there any reason why I would choose someone with a military background Versus, say, someone who has more of a corporate background. Is it? You think there's anything that would cause me to lean one way versus the other? Oh yeah, I mean, geez, the military member has discipline and uh, personal responsibility, and you know, time management skills that I think go beyond. I'm not saying anything negative towards the folks in the corporate uh, world because sure. I've never worked there, but just knowing what the military offers and what certainly some of our NCOs offer. I mean, you got people who are leading large organizations in their 20s. And they understand what it takes to, to change an organization. They understand what it takes to lead an organization. They understand time management skills. They have self-discipline. And I think you can't replicate that at that age and that level of experience anywhere else. So absolutely. And, you know, their, their ability to change and move mm-hmm. and uh, work in different environments. A lot of them have cultural understanding and cultural um, diversity skills just because of where they've been and where they've worked. Sure. You know, regardless of what you think about, you know, what the government spends their money on, one thing I can totally agree with is the amount of education and training and development that the military provides to its soldiers. And um, that I applaud tremendously because, you know, my co-host on the show, Randy, spent a handful of years in the service. And it obviously has worked out well for him because it definitely has translated into a career. And he learned a lot of skills in there been able to put him to work in the corporate world and i think the transition's been fairly well i mean he's still got a couple of issues <laughs> yeah, I but... <laughs> yeah. no, I I think like, that's way too much that. nice things you've said about me Chip. there's got to be something in there no i think he could even say a lot of the skills that he has if, if it hadn't been for that navy career and he wouldn't have them and then as far as his understanding i mean and you know randy lived in japan for what two three years and so he's got that cultural understanding he's got that ability to be effective in any place in the world. Yeah. So you have led organizations. When you were in Turkey, were you in charge of a... Yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I led uh, uh, basically a detachment, uh, AFN radio and television station. So what was your leadership philosophy when you're dealing with the people you're working with? How did you get them to complete the mission? So for me, I think the, my philosophy goes into... I am a big uh, proponent of organizational culture and trying to create a, cor- a culture that is positive and inclusive. And so it's not a, it's something that we're, you know, people want to come to work and feel like they matter, that their job matters. They're excited to get it done. And so I don't like, you know, to do the standard meetings where, you know, just go around the room and that's all we talk about. We try to make it fun. You know, how we did that, you know, we had just different going to random details, but just the different ways that we approach meetings, the different, we didn't have slide decks. So we just kind of had everybody do something different that day. You know, that was kind of fun. And 
we just I wanted them to come into work knowing that what they did mattered, that they mattered, and that this is going to be a fun day. Even if we were working hard, which we did, uh, it would be fun. And so that was kind of how I approached it. Every day was just, hey, let's make this a good place to work. So I also use I use um, AFN Tokyo when I worked there as a good example of good leadership because to me the leadership at the time was really good about helping you learn new skills but also not micromanaging so i don't know if since we worked at the same place at the same time for some of the same leaders if you have anything you can say about your experience there that made you you know think really good about somebody really bad about somebody or or how it formed you yeah you know i think looking back on it i don't have anything negative to say it and i think it goes to your point of where we were kind of allowed to we were empowered to be effective however we could, and there was really nobody micromanaging you. And I think in some sense, I mean, you want your leader to be present, so I don't want to say that the leader's not present, but if you're not going home all every day going, man, that leader was all over my back, <laughs> that's a good thing. And so, you know, yeah, I came into work every day. I had a job to do, and I did it, and it was effective, and I know my leaders thought it was effective, and so that was it. So I think, yeah, that was a positive example. But I think it also goes to a, a point about, you know, you could have – a leader, there's different levels of leadership. And so how the person feels about an organization or a leader really depends on how their immediate leader is, right? So you could have the leader of a, a station like AFN Tokyo, which is a fairly large station. Uh, you can have them be an effective leader, creating a, a dynamic culture that every airman, sailor, soldier that works there is excited about. But then you can have a lower level leader who isn't that way and could be overbearing. It could be micromanaging. It can be, you know, kind of hit them with the whip kind of mentality. And then that person who's working for them thinks completely different about the unit. Hmm. And so I think it's kind of hard to nail down one uh, leader in an organization and say, this is why, because it really is dependent on everybody throughout that chain to hmm. be an effective leader. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I also felt like it's one of those aspects that I think is hard to define in a in a situation, a working situation, where I felt like everyone had a good amount of passion for the job they were doing, and there was a fair amount of friendly competition. Like we all wanted to kind of do better than the next guy, and but it was it was in a friendly way. But I felt I feel like in a lot of workplaces I haven't experienced that again, and I don't know how that was fostered or if it was just the it just happened because of the people that were there. Because I can point to most of the people I worked with were very passionate and we're trying to do the best work they could do. And, and we were constantly looking at each other and saying, you know, you did this really good. I'm really going to try and up my game for next time. No, I would agree with that. I think that has to do with the field that we worked in as well when it comes into video production. And, and it was a world where, you know, we were constantly learning. And so every time we saw something, somebody do something well, we're like, oh, man, that's a great idea. I got to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to do it, but I, I want to do it even better. And so I guess there was a healthy competition there. And I don't know if it was a, I would say it was a competitive spirit, but it was a, it was a healthy culture in the sense that we all wanted to do great. We all wanted to support somebody. So if you saw what I was doing, I wasn't trying to hide it from you. Right. I was trying to help you understand it right. so we could all reach a different level. You were always interested in helping yourself outside of work as well. Uh, I know you were involved with Toastmasters and stuff back in the day. How do you think that has shaped you as a leader? Well, I mean, Toastmasters specifically, or, or just kind of... Just kind of professional development, you know? You yeah, I think that's critical because it's easy to get into a trap where you feel like you know everything or that you're good at stuff. You know, nobody ever does know everything, and everybody always needs to develop. 
And the challenge is to not only recognize that you need to develop, the, but to put yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable so you're developing. And so Toastmasters is an example of that. Uh, different organizations that you volunteer to work for are, are an example of that. Um, education is an example of that. It's hard. It's uncomfortable because I don't know what I'm doing. But in the end, you're going to come out a better person on the other end. Mm-hmm. And I think to be an, a leader, you have to be willing to develop yourself outside of just your technical skill because leadership for me, especially at this level, it isn't about how well I shoot video, you know, which, you know, by the way, it's not very well anymore, but <laughs> you know, it's not about that. It's about how I can influence you to shoot well, good video. You can't do that by just focusing on the technical skill. You have to do things like be a better communicator. You have to do things like, you know, kind of learning and reading about organizational culture or leadership change management and be willing to recognize that you still have a long way to go. So are you into any um, books or podcasts recently? Yeah, this podcast is good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plugs. No, you know, I I do read a lot of books. Uh, You know, Leadership and Self-Deception is a book I read recently, which I thought was good. You know, I read like Seth Godin stuff just for my personal kind of, oh, yeah, I want to do this. Lynchpin, I think, is a good book to be just motivated about how you can affect an organization. I read a lot of like communication books. I think one of the best books I've read on communication is uh, Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. It's not a book that you would necessarily think, oh, this is you know a communications book, mm-hmm. but it's a book that I constantly go to when it, when it comes to shaping a message and how you shape it so that people hear it. Your job is communication. What do you think that you've learned is one of your like go-to communication principles that, that stick with you and that you use on a daily basis? I think honest and open and, uh, and, and quick, if you can, at least in the organizational aspect of it. It's something that I think we struggle with in the military in general is being quick to respond. At the end, I think being honest and open is the best way to approach it, at least to a certain extent where, you you know, you don't want to reveal too much, if you will. But I think if you're honest and you're open, no matter how the audience receives that message, at least they'll appreciate that aspect of it. Hmm. And then it can, you know, if you make yourself vulnerable a little bit, you know, I think that's a good thing. Wonderful. Well, we truly appreciate you carving out part of your day to be on our show. Uh, It's been inspiring and and informational. We appreciate it very much. And hopefully we can have you back again. And no, I appreciate you guys reaching out and it's good to, uh, it's good to meet you and and definitely good to see you, Randy. Yes, it's been, we, we, we think it's been about 10 years since we've seen each other really. So you had short hair then, huh? Oh yeah. yeah. I was much more in regs at that point. (laughs) Not anymore. anymore. Good luck in your career. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. Okay. All right. Thank you. See you. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating, and leave us a review. Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com, tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions, and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.